0: Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, Pastor Jonathan takes us to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with a study entitled, The Message of the Cross. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the sanctuary for tonight's Bible study. I've had the privilege of working very closely with Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, for the past, I don't know, three weeks or a month or so. And I gotta say, what I've discovered about him, I already knew this, but... Uh, Even more so, is that this is a man who is sound in the faith, solid in the scriptures, and sold out for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I am looking forward to what he has to share with us tonight. So let's give him a warm welcome. Pastor Jonathan. Well, good evening. Are you ready to get into the Word? All right. Well, before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful night. Lord, that you've given to us, thank you for the preciousness of this moment. Lord, thank you for the love that you have given to us that we can lavish on one another. Thank you so much for this fellowship. Thank you for the leadership, Pastor Ross, Lord, and the team here, Lord, we ask that that you would just oversee tonight, that you'd fill us up with uh, more and more of the love of our Savior. And we thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed, Lord, 2,000 plus years ago for our sins. We love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, I'll just uh, start off a little bit. I wanted to give you my testimony um, before, I, before I started, it's not, um, it's not too long. I got saved when I was five, so there we go. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's all you get. Um, no, I'll give you a little backstory. Um, I was born in Olympia, Washington. I was born uh, the baby of um, four brothers. I had four brothers older than me. Um, my father passed away when I was three. My other brothers were in their teenage years and it devastated them because dad was um, a true uh, lover of his family and um, so it it caused a a big um, rift in our family and uh, uh, I can say that, uh, that at age five, I remember a preacher getting up one night and he preached the gospel And he preached it so powerfully. And and now I know that it was the Holy Spirit because I was so drawn to the words, the blood of Jesus, the cross, forgiveness of sins, that there was two destinies in the world, heaven and hell, and that um, salvation is by grace through faith. And as a five-year-old kid, I stood on one of the chairs and waved my hand and made sure that the preacher saw me. And uh, my mom tells me this story. I don't remember it. But I, I went home um, a few weeks later. And I got all my stuffed animals. And I got a Bible out. And I started preaching to them. So, so, so the Lord put a bug in me. right? And so I'm, I'm very happy on my birthday to be able to share with you the message that has been the banner of love over my life. And it's found in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in verse 17. And we're going to go to the end of the chapter, which is 31. And it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So we're, we're gonna take a little bit of a, a detour. We're gonna start looking at the context of 1 Corinthians. Where, where did this all start? What was the reason for Paul saying these words? And uh, what we know from, <clears throat> from history is that the Apostle Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he's leaving Athens, <clears throat> and he enters into the town of Corinth. And uh, Corinth is actually located in the southern Uh, Part of Greece, it's 50 miles from Athens and about two miles from a land bridge between Greece and Peloponnesus. And those are big words. So the city of, of Corinth was controlled by two major harbors and thus controlled the trade routes from Asia and Rome. And so while Paul was there in Acts chapter 18, we read that he meets Aquila and Priscilla who had been ordered to leave Rome because they were believers and they were Jews. And so Paul finds them, he stays with them, he works with them as a tent maker. And while he's doing his business, he starts doing the Lord's business. And uh, what he does is he begins to preach the gospel in the synagogues in Corinth. And uh, what a powerful opportunity he has, right? Right there in Corinth. And he stays there for about a year and a half and then he continues on to Ephesus. And as you recall, we just finished the book of Eph- uh, Ephesians with Pastor Ross. So I think it's uh, very appropriate for this evening. Here he is. And then four years later, Paul gets this email. And the email says, um, we got some issues in Corinth. We got some schisms. We got some factions. We got some bad stuff. Some people are doing some wrong wrong stuff in the church, and we need your help. And so Paul's number one priority for this church was to keep it united. So I want to ask us this, this evening, how can Paul, living so far away, keep the church of Corinth united? He leads him back to the cross. He takes him back to the rally point the place where it all started. And you know, when we have issues in our life where there's divisions and factions in our home, where there is struggles in our church, where there is dissension among the ranks, the best thing that we can do is return to the rally point, return back to the cross. Because it's the cross that gives us the power. It's the cross that unites hearts. It's the cross that keeps everybody on the same playing field. So here's my attention for tonight. I'm going to, for you note takers, we're going to hit three markers tonight. We're going to look at the message of the cross. We're going to look at the majesty of the cross. And then we're going to look at the mercy of the cross. So in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So in that, what is the message of the cross? He says for the message of the cross, so what is the message of the cross? Well, just as a reminder for myself and for you, the scriptures tell us that God became flesh, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a sinner's death to save a sinner like you and me and make us saints. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The message of the cross is redemption. The message of the cross is the power of God to to reconcile a hostile human with an almighty and holy God. The message of the cross is the power because it saves a sinner like me. The message of the cross, though, was also planned. I want us to look a little deeper into into this passage. It says, for the message of the cross. Now, that word message in the Greek means logos. Does that sound familiar? In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. The message of the cross is the God of the cross. It is Jesus in the flesh on the cross. But more importantly to the Greek and to the philosopher of the age, logos means the intention and the thought process and the words that are in your mind before you say them which means that God had a plan in his mind before he created the world. We see this in Isaiah 53:1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. Not only that, but Revelation 13, 8b says, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. See, Jesus Christ was already crucified before he said, let there be light. Because God had a plan, a redemptive plan before Adam and Eve sinned. God had a plan and that plan was to redeem you and me from our sinful state. And Paul was compelled to preach this gospel and he was so compelled because the God of the cross compelled him to preach the, to preach the gospel. For he says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. So, as we look at this, Paul came into the town of Corinth in Acts chapter 18, and it tells us that he reasoned with the Jews and the Gentiles, proclaiming to them that Jesus had to die, had to be buried, and had to rise again. Now, what's interesting is at the end of this letter of Corinthians, Paul re-emphasizes the gospel when he says in chapter 15... that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And the scriptures, as we know, are the Old Testament. So Paul was preaching from Genesis through Malachi. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. So now we wanna ask about the message of the cross. Who is the audience of the cross? And we see this as he is relaying to the fact that there are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. So there's two people in the audience. There's those who are perishing and they consider the cross foolishness. And who are they? Who are they that are, are the ones that are thinking that it's foolishness? Well, in Corinth, as we have learned, the Greeks and the Jews, the rich and the poor, were all migrating into this wonderful place of rest and relaxation. They were having a good time. They were having, they were playing golf, they were having house parties, they were whining and dining, laughing, and one of their enjoyments was to actually get somebody to get up onto a stage. A philosopher, a deep thinker, someone who had mind-crazy thoughts. And they would like a peacock, begin to flutter their feathers of knowledge. And people would just clap. Oh, wow, that was a wonderful word he used. Whoa, I've never read that in the dictionary. They were excited. And it stimulated people's minds. It caused people to to want to hear more. And they talked about life and morality and spirituality. And unfortunately these philosophies started creeping into the Corinthian church. And so while these people are growing in their faith, they're also taking the philosophies of the world and they're starting to intermix them. And then they're getting confused because the rich Christians don't associate with the poor Christians. The slaves, we don't want them to sit near us. So there became factions and divisions and schisms and fights over philosophy. Now, the Holy Spirit warns us through Paul's writings that we should not be caught up into the philosophies of the world. In Colossians 2.8, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So they got so much into their head that they were forgetting their heart. They got so wrapped up into their own arrogance that they were forgetting the humility of the cross. In 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul says to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. So why would these philosophers be thinking that the cross is so foolish? In fact, they thought it was foolish because it does not stir up any wonderful desires of pleasure. If I had an execution chair here and said, hey, let's talk about happiness, you would not be stoked to joy. And here's Christians and they're talking about the glory of the cross, And the philosophers are saying that's ridiculous because it doesn't stir up any desires in them, any hedonistic pleasures. It's foolishness to the philosophers because it doesn't stroke their pride. There's nothing you can hang on the cross. It doesn't promote their accomplishments. They can't put their trophies onto the cross and add to it. They couldn't do anything. And so the cross was ridiculous. And in fact, the cross was so ridiculous that God would send his innocent son to die for guilty mankind without really recognizing maybe no one will respond. I mean, they want some feedback from someone. There there needs to be a little bit of their investment coming back to them. The philosophers think it's ridiculous. How could a God just offer himself as a sacrifice without demanding people to come worship him. That's ridiculous. So the, fo- the foolishness of the cross was was moronic to them. It was silly. It was ridiculous. The foolishness of the cross was the simple fact that they didn't, they, they had all of the life in their hands And to look at someone dying on the cross, it was reminding them that their life was mortal. The cross is foolishness to the philosophers because it's just too simple. Isn't it weird that we make things so complicated in our faith? We add so many details to our faith that no wonder we're so weary and tired and exhausted. See, the cross is so simple that even a five-year-old in Olympia, Washington can understand it. And even you can understand it. The cross is simple that a Awana child can quote it and sob because they realize that Jesus died for them. The cross is so powerful to those who are being saved. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To the perishing, it's foolishness, but to the the people who are already saved, it is the power of God. It transformed my life. The cross displayed the power of God to me, not just when I was five, but when I was 19, when I was 25 in youth ministry, when I was 33 in pastoral ministry. And now it still is powerful to me. So we looked at the message of the cross and now we're gonna be looking at the majesty of the cross because Paul is defending the cross. And he says in verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, the of the intelligent I will frustrate. This is a quote directly from Isaiah twenty-nine fourteen. And interesting enough, Isaiah lived during the time when a Assyrian king named Sennacherib was coming against King Hezekiah and his people. And the scriptures tell us that Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, don't worry about this king. You're not going to be rescued by the hands of man, but by the power and demonstration of God's wisdom. God will destroy the wisdom of mankind, he says to King Hezekiah. And God promised this would happen and God succeeded. Because it says that God called over one of the angels from from heaven. And in one day, the angel, and this is my assumption, was chewing on some manna. And as he's chewing on the manna, he took out out 185,000 Assyrians. That's the wisdom of God, that that the power of God is not displayed through a man, but it's displayed through the awesome majesty and almightiness of God. And I also remember another story in the Old Testament of Job. Remember, Job is suffering, going through pain. He's got all of his friends around him, telling him that he's a sinner, and They're using all their theology and telling him that he's got a secret sin and that's why he's going through all this suffering and Job is complaining to God. And in Job chapter 38, God tells Job, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation. See, God's wisdom is much greater than Job's. It's much greater than mine, much greater than us. God has a way of quieting the philosophies of man. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, he, he asks these rhetorical questions. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher of the sage? It's almost as if God says, hey, Philosophers, why don't we get together? We'll have a debate. And you bring your greatest geniuses, Socrates, Plato, bring them up here, the bad boys, and we'll come against the message of the cross. And so we get to that moment, and God gets up there onto the stand, and he grabs the microphone and says, so, where are you guys? Hello? Anybody here? Nobody. Because nobody can contend with the cross. You know why? Because not one of Socrates' mighty speeches could save and transform the island of Ireland, converting the heart of Druids into pastors, teachers, and missionaries sent throughout all of the world. Not one of Plato's statements could have started the greatest revival in America called the Great Awakening. And not one of Nietzsche's penned dictations could have saved a hurt and broken and sinful young guy named Jonathan. But the cross did. The cross is the linchpin of salvation. In God's wisdom, he made the worst torture device into the most peaceful demonstration of love. The cross is the door for you, 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 you and I to enter into heaven. Pride cannot step across the threshold of the cross. Vain words cannot overshadow or darken the cross's beauty. Hedonistic pleasures cannot touch the crossbeams of the old rugged cross. You can't, hand, hand, you can't hang on your credentials, your plaques, or your accomplishments upon the cross. It is too lofty for the pomp of man's brilliance. But it is so low that a sinner can embrace the cross with humility. You can walk through the door into heaven with a repentant heart, and you can enter into that cross yourself. The Jews, they wanted miracles, they wanted flashy lights, they wanted the Red Sea parted again. They wanted to see awesome, spectacular thing in the heavens. But the sad thing is they forgot that Jesus in three and a half years did more miracles than 500 years before. They forgot about it. They stumbled over the cross. They said, how can my Messiah actually be put onto a stake, crucified by Roman hands? That's not my Messiah And they stumbled over that thought. The Greeks, they were looking for an intellectual roller coaster. They wanted bragging rights. They wanted to add something to the cross. But you can't add anything to the cross. You either have it or you don't. You either take it or you leave it. I spent the majority of my childhood alone, watching TV, pretending that I was in another world. I had a slight bit of dyslexia. I struggled through school, I had inconsistent grades, I was the class clown. I was constantly sent to the principal's office. I struggled in my class to concentrate I failed many of my tests. I was most likely to fail. And throughout my life, I've experienced the gracious mercy of God. He has allowed me to be in pastoral ministry for 18 years without Bible college, without a seminary, but I've seen powerful things I've seen kids' lives changed. I've seen the drug addict drop his pipe, come to Christ, become a missionary. Had nothing to do with me. Had everything to do with the cross. The blood of Jesus. It was the power of a weak person A lowly person, a despised kid, and God took it to shame the wise. It's the mercy of God. And that's where Paul is taking us. He's then taking us from the message to the majesty to the mercy of God. I think you can see how he can stop the divisiveness in a church. He brings them back to the cross. He shows the cross as the most powerful and wise thing that God could ever do. And then he makes it personal. We read in verse 26 again. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Now just take everyone here right now. There's 100% of us here. And Paul just said, not many of you are wise. That's a quarter of you. Not not many of you are influential. That's half of you. Not many of you are of a noble birth. That's three-fourths of you. That means that there is only 25% of the church of Corinth that were wise, influential, and noble. The rest of them were all rejects. Just like me. Just like you. And that's how come Paul can take it personal. He says, look at you guys. You're blowing everything out of proportion. You're getting cocky when you shouldn't be cocky. God didn't pick you because you were the best. He picked you because you were the least so that his glory could be made known, so that his power could be shown in your weakness. And I love this part right here. But God, but God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. There is so many but God comments in the New Testament but God demonstrated his love in this that while we were yet sinners Christ died for the ungodly but God in his infinite mercy has shown compassion upon us and right here but God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe so God chooses the foolish which we looked at foolishness means moronic so god chose the moronic things of this world to shame the wise and then he he brings it down a tier and he says he chooses the weak which is the sick and the feeble and he chooses the sick and the feeble things to shame the strong and god chooses the lowly and the cowardly and the runt of the family and the despised and the neglected and the and the and the forlorn And the things that were not, the nobodies, and he takes them and he nullifies or makes of no effect the wisdom of man. That is the mystery and the power of the wisdom of God, that he would take the small things of our lives and he would magnify them and put to shame the most intelligent Richard Dawkins. And so here is the kind of the capsule, the main point of tonight. What God was saying to the people in Corinth is, when you get tempted to start bragging about all that you've done for God, just remember, it was me who put you there. We must remember that God doesn't need us, but he does love us. Amen. He doesn't need us to keep the universe going. Jesus can do that all by himself. But God has shown us all mercy. If you recall that Jesus walking walking in Capernaum, he picks out the rejected rabbinical students who are now fishermen, and he picks the rejected and hated tax collector, and he picks the murderous zealot for Israel, And he says, go and make disciples. He takes the lowly things of the world and the weak things and the despised things of the world to confound the lies. And he's asking us this question, who's got the bragging rights now? And that's what Paul's finally saying at the tail end of this message. Paul finally finishes his argument here to bring them back into unity, to bring them back into the centrality of the cross, to bring them back to the main point that we should hold on to every day of our life. If you want to brag about something in your life, brag about the power of the gospel. Brag about how much God every day Chooses to bless you with children who love you, parents. Brag about parents, you parents, uh, you college students, brag about your parents who were helping you through college. Brag about Jesus' act of complete surrender that took you from the slums of sin and placed you upon the seat of our Heavenly Father. Where's the braggers now? Where's the pompous in the church? Where are the arrogant in the church? May they come to the foot of the cross. May they repent of their arrogance. Because of the cross, you cannot hang any bit of your accomplishments upon it. You cannot make the cross any more beautiful. It's ugly, it's a terrible way to die. At least a man could stay on the cross and die in 10 hours. At the most, 13 days. And Jesus took what was so hideous and terrible, and He now made it so beautiful that we have jewelry, we have it up on on top of our churches, we have Bibles that have the emblem of the cross. We talk about the beauty of the cross, and the world thinks we're foolish. They think we're stupid. But God took the things that are foolish and stupid and he blew them out of the water with the simplicity of a message that a child can come to Jesus through the cross. Tonight, as we taper off and end, I want to challenge each one of us to consider if there was any hint of arrogance in us, any sense of divisiveness, if we have any unforgiveness towards one another, if we have any ought against our neighbor, consider the cross. Come to the message of the cross. Worship the majesty of the cross and bask in the mercy of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blood that was shed on the cross. Lord, we thank you for your atonement. We thank you for the gift of your son that you saw fit, that you would take the lowly things of this world to confound the wise. And Lord, we have an anthem tonight. An anthem to proclaim that Jesus Christ is risen, that sin has been forgiven, that our past life has been washed in the blood of Christ. And Lord, we want to brag about you. We want let anyone who boasts boast in the Lord. And Lord, if we have come here with, with hearts that have been kind of stirred up with pride, Lord, we apologize. We say, Lord, we're sorry for walking in our own arrogance. Lord, we come back to the cross. We're reminded of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed all of our sins. We're reminded of our old life, Lord, and we thank you for the new life that you've given to us. We offer this up to you in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast.